Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Hugo Ewer, co-manager of the Troy Income and Growth Trust. Hugo is also co-manager of the Trojan Income Fund and is manager of the Trojan Ethical Income Fund and has charge of Troy's responsible investment processes. He joined Troy in 2009 from Climate Benson, where he was an equity analyst. Hugo gained his MA in Geology from Oxford University in 1999, following which he spent five years serving with the Scots Guards. He holds the CISI diploma and is a CFA chart holder. So first and foremost, a very warm welcome to you, Hugo, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. Good morning, Richard, and thank you very much for inviting me to speak with you. Um, if we could start at the very beginning, as they say, uh, in terms of the Troy Income and Growth Trust, could you perhaps talk us through what the objectives and investment style of the trust are? Absolutely, Richard. And I think at the very beginnings is a very good point to start. We were appointed to take over the management of what is now the Troy Income and Growth Trust shortly after the global financial crisis in, in 2009. And when we looked around at what we thought the vehicle should be and should become, we were determined to turn it into what we felt was the best possible long-term savings vehicle that we, that we could provide for investors. And that meant making a couple of significant changes and putting in place Troy's very distinct investment style. And what I mean by that is investing in a way that is independent from benchmarks, so, so not worrying about what the benchmark weightings or even the benchmark is doing in particular, focused on having an absolute mindset to returns rather than a relative mindset. So thinking about not losing money rather than performing relative to a benchmark, thinking about absolute, delivering absolute returns to investors o- o- over the cycle. And keeping it simple and straightforward um, and and removing unnecessary complexity. Uh, It's a long-only vehicle. Uh, We have no structural gearing. It's focused very simply on uh, holding the best UK equities uh, that we can uh, and a handful of overseas equities um, to deliver that long-term compounding profile of returns that, that we're seeking. And one big change that we made was we implemented a discount control mechanism on the fund. This is something we've done at Troy and with Troy's other funds. Uh, and effectively, what this means is that we are seeking to eliminate the gap between the underlying value, the net asset value of, of, of the trust and its share price, which can, in investment trusts, diverge and create a discount. We always want our investors to be able to sell their shares if they want to with liquidity at a price that is fair, so i.e. close to net asset value. And since implementing that discount control mechanism in early 2010, the price and the NAV have stayed within one or two percentage points of each other throughout the history of, of, of the last 10 years. So that sounds relatively defensive, what, what you're describing. How does that reflect in terms of the sector allocation of the trust? Yeah, it is. And you know what's very important to recognise is that that focus on on steady returns has meant that over the long term, we have outperformed both the market and our peers. So delivering 180% return versus 114 for the market and 155 for the peer group since, since we took over management. But we've done that, as you rightly point out, with lower volatility and actually the lowest volatility in our sector. And it's about creating a portfolio that delivers that right balance between income and capital returns. And the sector allocation is, is hugely important to that. Uh, and I think 
going back to our starting point, it is important for investors to understand that Troy operates with a very clearly defined investment universe. We're very certain of what the type of stock we want to own looks like. We want to own high quality stocks that we can believe can compound returns over the long term. We're not looking for a fast buck. We're not looking to participate in the latest trend. We're looking to own things that we believe can steadily grow over the long term. That means removing unnecessary balance sheet risk, invested in companies with predictable revenue growth, robust margins, and well-aligned management teams, and avoiding sectors and companies where we think, in particular, there's a, a combination of excessive cyclicality and capital intensity, where we think you see these very savage cycles that destroy capital. And so we tend to focus around sectors like consumer staples, healthcare, software, and for a very long time, we haven't invested in, in sectors like mining, airlines, and, and house builders. And having said that, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that those consumer staples are a core of the portfolio, making up um, just over a quarter of the portfolio. Stocks like Unilever and Nestle, which sell small items at relatively low costs that people buy day in, day out. So soaps, chocolate bars, coffee, deodorant, for example. And we mix that and we blend that with higher growth opportunities in tech and data and financial platforms. And these create um, make up just shy of another 25% of the portfolio. And those are stocks that are you know, well aligned with the current trends we're seeing in terms of software growth and, and, and data and the utilization of data. And on top of that, there, there are a, a number of other sectors um, where we do have exposures. We have exposure to healthcare is about 10% of the portfolio, speciality industrials and chemicals about seven and a half and a few others. There's two sort of last areas I think that are worth highlighting or, or maybe even three. One is a portion of the portfolio, about 10%, which is dedicated to more defensive stocks. And these provide something of an anchor in terms of in times of turbulence and volatility. We're talking about low risk property vehicles that invest in, in medical centers and GP surgeries, utilities, infrastructure, that sort of thing, where you get a reasonably indexed LinkedIn income stream, but that real certainty of, of the value of, of those assets. We have some exposure to overseas, which we, we utilize and we can talk about um, in, in due course. And then we have three, four percent in cash typically within the trust, uh, which we think has option value for us. Uh, it means we can deploy it quickly when we see opportunities. You mentioned uh, Unilever and Nestle uh, in passing. Could you perhaps talk us through a couple of stocks which find their way onto your top holdings list? Yeah, and I, and I think you know those, those stocks which include Racket Benkeys as well, you know, ha have for a very long time been amongst the, the largest holdings. You know, perhaps it's, it's also very helpful to, to, to shed some light on, on the other parts of the portfolio and, and talk about stocks, perhaps like Experian, um, which is a really good example of one of these companies that is, that is doing so well in that data space. Experian consumers will, will know as the credit checking or credit scoring company whose data you use when you apply for a loan or a mortgage or when you make a higher purchase. But they have diversified beyond that basic function to really being a much broader owner and collator of, of data and overlaid that with a, with a phenomenal ability to analyze that data and integrate it into companies' working practices. And what this has allowed them to do is to become a key component of decision-making across a huge variety of different companies, whether they be healthcare companies, whether they be government organizations or typical financials, which is where they, where they started. 
They've got fantastic growth opportunities in, in countries where um, those credit ratings are becoming um, more sophisticated in their analysis uh, and also in, in more developed European markets. So Brazil and, and Germany being, being very good examples. And this model allows them to deliver high margins um, combined with that growth means they've been able to grow their dividend about 8% over the last five years uh, and means that it has been a long-term core holding of the portfolio since about 2012. This sort of company shares characteristics with companies like Visa and Relix, which also make up part of that tech data exposure. Another really interesting company to talk about and, and perhaps, perhaps um, alongside um, one other uh, are two companies that we are relatively newer additions to the portfolio. Intertech, um, as an example of, a, of the really high quality UK industrials that are available to investors. This is a testing and inspection company. It's one of three listed um, companies that operate globally and they effectively provide verification and certification of everything from uh, the sourcing of raw materials to the adherence to standards of, of end products. So if you think about something like a t-shirt, um, where its cotton is sourced, how it's manufactured, how um, the, the, the chains um, and the supply chain functions through to um, the, the fire retardant capabilities of, uh, and the, the wear and tear capabilities of the end product. And this industry has been driven very steadily and, and again, benefits from long-term trends around increased regulation, increased product complexity, outsourcing. But really exciting to us is, is the opportunity around investors and, and consumers uh, and regulators as well desire to understand the sustainability of the products which they're interacting with. And they are in a unique position to provide assurance around that environmental and social sustainability of, of, of your t-shirts or, or whatever it happens to be. Coronavirus gave us a good opportunity to, to invest in the stock um, when, when it saw a period of weakness. We, um, we were able to pick the stock up at a dividend yield of above 2% and it's now making new highs. And this sits alongside stocks like Croda and Victrex in the portfolio, which sit in that specialty chemicals niche um, where we think there are you know, these exceptional UK companies that, that really provide a differentiated performance. I think perhaps the last stock that, that illustrates our thinking well as well is, is Medtronic. Um, and this is a supplier of implantable devices. So thinking about um, things like stents, valves, pacemakers, and, and also the machinery and medical devices used to, to, to conduct the surgery and implant those devices. And the reason I highlight this one is because it's a very good example of um, the sort of company that actually we can go globally to find. You know, this is a, a leader in its field, not present in the UK in the same way. Um, on, on the UK market. And you know, we use that 10 to 15% um, overseas allocation to, to get access to companies like this. Um, they have you know, obviously very strong demand drivers from, a, for, from an aging population and invest very heavily in R&D to continue to develop that product range and drive that growth. And this has allowed them to, to deliver dividend growth of um, in excess of 15% per annum for the last 43 years. So a phenomenal track record of, uh, of value creation for shareholders. And as operating theatres were repurposed in the fight against COVID-19, a lot of the operations that they typically assist doctors in performing were delayed and shareholders got concerned about that uh, and gave us an opportunity, uh, the best opportunity we've seen in five years to, to invest in this sort of company. And we snapped up that opportunity and we have a great deal of confidence that you know, people who need pacemakers or valves will, will, will see those operations and will have them in due course. So this is a hiatus rather than a, rather than a, a weakening of their offering.
it's, it's interesting that you should mention um, whilst discussing some of those companies that um, the kind of responsible theme keeps coming through because obviously you're also manager of the Trojan Ethical Income Fund, which is actually on our ACE 30 list. And just having a quick look across the top holdings of Troy Income and Tro Trojan Ethical, there do seem to be uh, some similarities. Um, is, is that a sort of happy coincidence or is it simply that the sort of companies you're looking at are ticking many investment boxes? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've tried to do with, with, with both um, vehicles is create the similar profile of returns. Um, what we've done with the Ethical Fund is putting in place a screen uh, that excludes certain sectors, so oil and gas uh, and alcohol, um, tobacco, etc., uh, five or six um, different sectors. And that gives investors reassurance that we absolutely won't hold exposure to those sectors. But across the board, we are really interested in sustainability. Um, and this comes through in our integrated environmental, social and governance analysis and, and, a way, and the way we do this. Because we're long-term investors and because we're thinking about dividends, we really want to own companies where we can see that in five, 10 years' time, they will be able to pay a dividend that is larger than it is today. And for us to have confidence that companies can do that, we need to understand the sustainability of their business model. We need to know that their social license to operate will still be there in 10 years time, that they're not going to be hit with massive remediation costs around environmental or, or social damages. And so this is really central, I think, for, for, for any long term investor to really understand that sustainability aspect of what they're doing. And switching back to Troy Income and Growth uh, specifically, obviously it's been a, uh, an extremely challenging 2020 and, and we're not finished yet. How's the trust been coping in the current downturn? Now, we're pleased with how the trust has performed. Clearly, this is a fully invested equity mandate bar that very small uh, percentage of cash. So we're not immune from the swings of the market. But year to date, um, the trust NAV has fallen about 11% uh, versus about a 20% share for the market. So we have been considerably more defensive. And that is a function of that focus on quality and not having gearing in the trust, which uh, you know is really fundamental to those two ideas being, being fundamental to maintaining that, that lower volatile profile. We have suffered dividend cuts in the trust, as has the market, but significantly less. One of the things that has really come out of this period of dislocation is the extent to which the trends that we've been seeing for the last two years have been accelerated. And when you look at e-commerce, so online purchasing, um, working from home trends, uh, and the demands that come in relation to that, to um, the use of software um, like Zoom, which we're talking over at the moment, but also the demand for office space and electronic payments have all changed the way we operate materially. And I think this has created a very divided market into stocks uh, that have growth, that can grow their dividends, that have been re-rated through the last two years and continue to see continuing success and growth through the coronavirus pandemic. But these stocks tend to be on lower yields. And the other half of the market, or the other portion of the market where growth has stagnated and, and dividend yields are running high because stocks continue to be derated, um, continue to get cheaper. But really the growth and the long-term opportunity to create value for shareholders isn't there. And one of the things we've really focused on doing through the, through the pandemic is to rotate the, or change the portfolio at the edges where we think we owned companies that were ran the risk of, of getting caught up in that more stagnant, lower growth part of the market. 
And that has meant at the periphery of the portfolio, selling some stocks which have been on relatively high yields. And we talk about the oils and the banks in particular here, and reinvesting in the sorts of companies that I've been talking about, um, the experience, Intertex and Medtronics of this world, which have much better long-term growth profiles, but perhaps today don't yield as much as, uh, as the others. This means that although we've committed to um, continuing to pay um, uh, the, the same level of dividend from, from, from the trust for the, the remainder of this financial year, uh, which ended in, in, in the 30th, on the 30th of September, we are likely to see a step down uh, in the income generated by the portfolio. But we think this is entirely the right thing to be doing. We've gone through a period of better than market performance. We want to take that opportunity to rebalance the portfolio to a position that it can really grow from and where we can deliver sustainable income covered by the trust earnings um, that can grow ahead of inflation in the market and continue to deliver a balance of, of income and capital return from the portfolio. Um, so we've used the downturn really to our advantage to get ahead of the market in that uh, and to make sure that we're best positioned to come out of this um, as strong as we possibly can be. And that's a very upbeat outlook on, on which to finish. I'm, a, I'm afraid we're unfortunately out of time. So our thanks go again to Hugo Ewer, the co-manager of the Troy Income and Growth Trust and indeed manager of the Trojan Ethical Income Fund. Thank you too for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.